good to be with you again this morning. Why don't we go to John 14 together. And what I'd like to do is, is focus on something we already covered last week, but just do it in a little bit more detail this morning. Uh, in particular, I'm talking about what Jesus means when he says in uh, verse 13 of John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Many of you read that last week and expressed how much you desire to grow in asking the Lord to do his works through you and through others. Some of you even expressed that uh, you're not really asking much at all, and this was a good word for you to hear, a good encouragement for you to bend the knee more often in dependence on Christ in prayer. I even received word that one sister has been praying for our church in particular to grow in the specific area of prayer, and last week's message was an answer to months of her prayers. Not only that, but I was also told by at least two brothers that uh, I had preached two sermons last week instead of just one. thought I'd slide that in there, but they caught me. So this week, I'm going to tap the brakes a little bit and uh, lead us a bit more slowly on what it means to ask for whatever we need in Jesus' name. That's going to be the main question I answer today. What does it mean for us to ask for something in Jesus' name. I told you last week what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, like many of the prosperity teachers practice, that we use the phrase, in Jesus' name, as sort of a magical formula to get what we want. That is, as long as we name whatever we want and claim whatever we want, with Jesus' name tacked on the end, it will automatically be given. That's not what asking in Jesus' name means. He's not a heavenly genie who responds and meets all of our self-centered materialistic interests as we attempt to live our best life now. Whatever we ask for must line up with what Jesus teaches about hating our life in this world that we might gain our lives in the world to come. Asking in Jesus' name also shouldn't function as a mere uh, mechanical, formal expression we tag on the end of our prayers. There are times when we say, in Jesus' name, and we know exactly why we say it and what's bound up with it. But at other times, it seems, it comes, kind of becomes a trite phrase we, we throw out. You know, maybe to, to let the next guy in the circle know that we're, it's their turn to pray. Maybe followed by an elbow nudge, a hand squeeze. Or perhaps we just uh, tag it on the end because we're trying to follow what Jesus says, ask in my name, but we just don't know exactly why we're doing it. Maybe it's more powerful to do it that way. We may not use in Jesus' name like the prosperity teachers use it, but we must confess that sometimes it comes out of our mouth just as empty because of our hearts. 
And what I hope you will see today is that while, being, while saying in Jesus' name out loud is good and can sometimes be in very instructional to the others around, when we're praying, especially in public, we don't actually need to use that formula to be praying in Jesus' name. Asking for something in Jesus' name is more so bound up with asking in accordance with who Jesus Christ is as the exalted Lord of the universe. Everything I say today about asking in Jesus' name is connected to that massive reality. Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the exalted Christ. To ask in Jesus' name is to implore the exalted Christ for all our needs. And the reason I make that reality the central emphasis for asking in Jesus' name here is that Jesus makes it the emphasis in verse 12. Whoever believes in me, he says, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Jesus links in his, asking in his name to his going back to the Father. His going to the Father is his exaltation. He, he came from his Father's splendor in the humble incarnation, and now he was returning to his Father in a glorious exaltation. He came as a humble servant. He would be returning as a mighty king. So when we ask for something in Jesus' name, the massive reality standing behind our demeanor and our words and our passions and our longings and our needs and our cries, the, the sphere in which we are offering our prayers is that of the exalted Christ. But we need to flesh that out a bit more, and then I want us to actually ask the exalted Christ together in some prayer clusters, and ask based on what we learn. So, one thing we need to consider seriously is this, for Jesus to be the exalted Christ means Jesus possesses universal authority. Jesus possesses universal authority. The Bible tells us that Jesus, in his exalted state, possesses an indestructible life. It's Hebrews 7. He possesses a seat, a throne, that's above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He has a name that is above every name that is, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, Ephesians 1. Even such that one day every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's Philippians 2. And he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28. Meaning he has the supreme right and the infinite power to achieve all his desired goals for heaven and earth without fail or hindrance. Revelation 5 and 6. You know, we might say that the President of the United States is the man with all the authority. But we mean that in a very limited sense, don't we? 
The president has all authority insofar as he leads the United States and perhaps other world allies that he influences. When the Bible says that Jesus has all authority and power, it's using all in an unlimited sense. There are no limits to Jesus' authority like there are limits to the rest of mankind's authority. His rights are supreme. His power is infinite. His control is comprehensive. So that means a few things for us when we pray in Jesus' name, doesn't it? If part of his exalted status is his universal authority... The most obvious implication for us is that we come with hearts full of adoration. We come to him with hearts full of adoration. We don't come to him as if to approach a heavenly bellboy or a mere homeboy or a mere co-pilot. Did I get every generation the last 30 years? It's true that Jesus refers to himself as our brother and even willing to call himself our friend. But in both places, Jesus' brothers and Jesus' friends are marked by their obedience to his word. In other words, even when he describes himself with such humbling and endearing language, stooping down to us, it's never to the exclusion of his authority. Because of his authority, we approach him with adoration, with worship, with bended knee, and reverent homage to a supreme and worthy king, much like it says in Psalm 2, we kiss the Son. We bow before him as all of heaven bows before him, saying, worthy to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. If Jesus possesses universal authority, that also means we should take great confidence in his ability. We should take great confidence in his ability. If he possesses the supreme right and the infinite power to achieve all his desired goals for heaven and earth, then none of our requests are too great for him to handle or too much for him to provide. He never feels taxed by your request, as if he lacks the resources to follow through. One of the most frequent questions I get when my children finish eating is, Daddy, what can I have now? And while getting them a second, and sometimes third, plate, I can't help but think of the next grocery bill. Or tease out what this will mean when they turn 15. What am I doing? I'm checking to see if I've got enough resources to make this happen. Jesus never worries over his resources when we ask. Your requests never overload him. He is infinite in wisdom and power and riches. He is the source of life itself, and by his word, the visible and invisible universe is upheld. We should ask for extraordinary things and take every confidence in Jesus' ability to answer because he is an extraordinary king. Paul even says he's able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. And in another place, he says, my God will supply Supply every need of yours. And where are those needs coming from? 
He will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 So pray extraordinary prayers because we come to an extraordinary Christ. If Jesus possesses universal authority, that also means we must ask him with humble hearts, ready to obey his will and not our own. We must come to him with humble hearts, ready to obey his will and not our own. This is part of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. You see here in verse 13, we get whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. But elsewhere, John writes this, beloved, whatever we ask, and so here's the whatever again, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Receiving whatever we ask is contingent on obeying his command to believe in Jesus and to love one another. Whatever we ask should stem from faith and it should serve love. Or what about 1 John 5, 14? And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, so here we have whatever we ask, here we have ask anything according to his will, he hears us according to his will, not our own, his will, he hears us. Meaning the whatever we ask for in Jesus' name is qualified by our asking according to Jesus' will instead of our own. It's not that John is limiting what Jesus left unlimited. John learned at Jesus' feet. More than that, the Holy Spirit would not contradict through John what Jesus meant in his earthly ministry. He's telling us what Jesus means by praying in his name. To pray in Jesus' name means we come with a humble heart before a king with universal authority ready to obey his will and not our own. John 15, 16. We're going to get there Sometime, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, in my, in the, in, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Prayer is for fruit-bearing mission in the world. Folks, and I say this with all compassion... And with complete awareness that I wrestle with the same weaknesses of the flesh, this is why some of your prayers may not be getting answered. We cannot cling to rebellion and our own passions and simultaneously acknowledge Jesus as the exalted Lord. James chapter 4 verse 3 says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Or husbands, listen to this one from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Guys, the Lord's will is that you honor your wife. The Lord's will is that you care for her as an heir of the grace of life. The Lord's will is that you live with her in an understanding ways. Could it be that your prayers are being hindered because of the way you're treating your wife? Or not treating her? My own brother asked me a similar question when I told him on the phone one afternoon that I felt my prayers were just hitting a ceiling. I was not having sweet communion with my father in prayer. First thing out of his mouth, I've been there before. How are you and Rachel doing? 1 Peter 3, 7. That doesn't mean that that's the issue every time our prayers may go unanswered. It's only to say that the Bible makes obedience a big deal in our praying. Psalm 66 also came up as one of my readings this week. And verse 18 says this. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Asking in Jesus' name requires obedience to his will. Longings to submit to him. He is the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we obey in order to earn answers to our prayers. Coming to Jesus by faith necessarily excludes all earning. More than that, obedience to Christ is ultimately the work of God's grace. So we don't obey in order to earn answered prayer. We pray to fuel our obedience. We pray in order to align our will with Jesus' will. If we choose to come differently, prayer malfunctions. Some of you likely struggle with this truth. Perhaps you've even been discouraged from praying at all because of this truth. These sorts of conditions placed on whether your prayers are heard make you coil up inside instead of releasing your request to the Lord. Jesus becomes an exacting tyrant in your eyes who refuses your prayer request unless you're perfect. And you say everything just right. And all your motives are 100% pure. And your knees are bent at just the right angles. And your prayer closet is clean. And perhaps you finally get out a prayer. But you never see it answered. And then comes the downward spiral. I must not have done it right. I don't want to fail again, so I'm not asking anymore. And you cut yourself off from asking the exalted Christ. But maybe it would help you to see, alongside the truth we just talked about regarding obedience, that the Lord taught his disciples to pray like this. And part of that prayer is, give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive, as we also have forgiven our, those who have sinned against us. We don't have to be perfect in order to pray. Jesus tells us to confess our sins as part of our asking. We do need to pursue obedience, holiness, purity. But that's different from actually being perfect now in this age. And I hope that's liberating for some of you. Or what does John say in 1 John 1, 9? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
if we confess our sins. How does that happen? In prayer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. More than that, we should remember in our asking that entering God's presence isn't become, isn't ever because of our own perfection to begin with, but because of Christ's perfection for us. We can pray imperfectly because Christ always prays perfectly, which leads us to something else we need to consider seriously when asking in Jesus' name, when, when asking the exalted Christ. For Jesus to be the exalted Christ means Jesus' obedience and sacrifice were accepted by the Father. Jesus' obedience and his sacrifice were accepted by the Father. Verse 12 tells us that Jesus is going to the Father, and that's equivalent to Jesus' exaltation. But if we fast forward a bit to John 17, some of you can just turn one page. Fast forward a bit to John 17, verses 4 and 5. We hear Jesus pray this just before he dies on the cross. Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So he was obedient to to do all the Father's work, unlike us, unlike any man since Adam. He was obedient. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. His glorification into the Father's presence was contingent on his obedience. The Father glorifies the obedient Son. We find something very similar in Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's the obedience again, becoming obedient to the point of death. And then we get this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. God highly exalted Jesus because of Jesus' obedient sufferings for us. Jesus' obedient sufferings were pleasing to God. Jesus' obedience and death accomplished all God designed it to accomplish. And so God exalted Him. We've also got to love the scene in Revelation 5.9, Right? When no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to break the seals of God's saving purposes except for the lion-like lamb that appears, he conquered by being slain and he takes the scroll from the right hand of God and all of heaven bows and says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. Because you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He is exalted because he was slain for the nations. He gave the acceptable the life and he gave the acceptable sacrifice for us. And this too adds to our understanding 
of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. When we ask for something in Jesus' name, we're asking with faith in Jesus' finished work on our behalf. That's what it means for Jesus to be enthroned as the God-man. He was never there before as, a, as the God-man. He was there as son. Now he's got a human nature and he's there. The reason we pray to him as the exalted Lord of heaven and earth is because his sacrifice was sufficient for us. His obedience was perfect for us. So when we ask for something in Jesus' name, we're asking with faith in Jesus' finished work on our behalf. We're acknowledging that we come to God due to no merit of our own, but solely to the merit of Jesus Christ. His obedience to the Father, even to death on the cross, is my only access point to God, John 14, 6. And it's why I can pray with such confidence to begin with. Asking the exalted Christ means asking the Christ who obeyed for you and was crucified for you. Just think of some of his obedience even in terms of prayer. Right? Got his disciples in the garden. They're all falling asleep. Three times over he's telling them to pray. They fall asleep. They fall asleep. It doesn't stop Jesus from praying for them. Nor for the strength for him to finish his own work. So even in his prayers, he's obedient to the Father for you. So we need not feel like we must do something more to bend God's ear to us. He's already lent us his ear if we are in Christ. We need not try to concoct some pious tone when we pray or perfect sentences. We simply ask. Like children. We need not feel like, like we must jump huge hurdles to get back into a place where we can have real prayer. All the obstacles were torn down when he died on the cross and caused you to be born again. Ephesians 3.12 says that we even have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Jesus. In In this sense, I think Paul Miller nails it when he says this, asking in Jesus' name isn't another thing I have to get right so my prayers are perfect. It is one more gift of God because my prayers are so imperfect. Asking in Jesus' name isn't another thing I have to get right so my prayers are perfect. It is one more gift of God because my prayers are so imperfect. If this is true, then we also don't need to worry what others think of us when we ask Jesus for anything. I bring this up because some of you have admitted you don't pray with others out of fear of what they might think of you and the way you sound and the words you might mess up. If that's you, hear this. Asking in Jesus' name means having the Father and the Son's complete acceptance. If Jesus' death and exaltation means that I am now accepted with God, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is, what do I need to fear from mere people? They can't change my status with God. They can't give me a better acceptance. They can't change how the Father and the Son hear my cries, however weak and convoluted and immature they may sound. And if someone's focus during prayer is merely to criticize others, we have to wonder if they truly know how, to, how comprehensive the work of Jesus really is in making up for all of our shortcomings. All Jesus requires is that we feel our need for Him and cry out like children for help. Jesus' obedience and sacrifice enable that. 
One more major thing we should consider when asking the exalted Christ. For Jesus to be the exalted Christ means Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus' exaltation and the sending of the Holy Spirit, these two things are linked all over the place in John's Gospel. All over the place. But I'll take you to the closest one in verses 16 and 17 and then to another in chapter 15. So first, look at verses 16 and 17 of, of chapter 14 with me. Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to live once he is exalted. And he says this in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And then turn one page over to chapter 15, verse 26. 15, verse 26, he says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Remember, he says, I'm going back to the Father. This is what he does. He sends from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness about me. Now, here's what's amazing about the coming of the Spirit in relation to asking in Jesus' name. The Spirit teaches us how to ask. When we ask for something in Jesus' name, we're asking with the help of the Spirit of the exalted Christ. Jesus doesn't leave us alone, even in how we ask. He sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us through the Spirit so that our prayers line up with His prayers. Just like Jesus cried, Abba, Father... In the garden of Gethsemane, so also when the Spirit comes to reside in us, what do we cry? Abba, Father. Just like Paul says in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, Jesus' own cries become our cries through the Spirit. Paul even says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit helps him, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8. When the world has racked us with pain or confusing circumstances, when we don't know the will of God for this or that situation in life, but we desire it so badly, we don't have to worry that our prayers may not get it all right or fret because we don't even know how to ask. The Spirit knows how to ask. He takes even our own deep groanings and He intercedes for us according to the will of God. Romans 8.27 And let's just keep adding grace on top of grace here, folks, because another way the Spirit helps us to pray is by inspiring the apostles to finish the Bible, which becomes our inspired guide to learning how to pray for what we need and for what will bring glory to God. John 15, again, verses 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And, he tells the eleven that are standing before him, and you, eleven apostles, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning, meaning from the beginning of his earthly ministry. You've been with me throughout it. You were eyewitnesses. Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to declare everything about me. You're going to write it down, not just for your generation, but for all the generations to come. 
And then Jesus links abiding in his word with prayer in chapter 15, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus' words, which are then given by the Holy Spirit, which we have here for us in all 66 books, these words given by the Spirit help us know what to ask for. I don't know how many times I've sat down to pray and just have absolutely nothing to say. I'm tired, my mind is blank, or drifting off to everything else in the world, or maybe I start to pray and then everything gradually becomes trite, seemingly redundant, and then I'm discouraged and want to go up, get up and do something else that's more productive. Right? That's a temptation and it's a lie. And so many times, the Spirit-inspired Word of God becomes my help in prayer. I'm amazed at where the prayers go if I just start praying God's words back to God and asking for the things God tells me to ask for. Or if I take the Lord's Prayer, right? Or one of Paul's prayers as my outline in praying for myself and others, right? See, Father, make Redeemer Church know what is the hope of your calling and what is the glorious wealth of your inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. Do this in them. Or, or taking the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, let your name be hallowed in my life and my family. Let your name be hallowed in this city in White Settlement. May those who have never bowed their knee to Jesus Christ and said, Hallowed be your name, may they bow as you open doors for a word that I might speak as I ought to speak of the mysteries of Christ. And if I can't remember it, I open the book and I start reading it back to God and praying the things that I read. They are the words of the exalted Christ. And they are the Spirit's gift to us to help us pray. So those are three major things we should keep in mind as we ask the exalted Christ. He has universal authority. His obedience and sacrifice were accepted by the Father for us. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to help us. I took point four out. Because we don't have time to cover it today. But we sang Lion of the Tribe of Judah a while ago. And I said, I got to at least tell them. There could be a fourth point here in that praying in the name of Jesus as exalted Lord means praying, expecting the exalted Lord to wrap things up. To bring the kingdom. If he's exalted Lord... He's going to bring his kingdom. Nobody can stop him. And so we are pray to pray in Jesus' name means we're praying while waiting for him to close the deal. And there's even pictures of this in Revelation 5 and 8 of our prayers being, our prayers now, being rising up to God's throne as a pleasing aroma to him. And at the end of the day, all those prayers are being stored up and God will bring his will on the earth and it will result in judgment coming on the earth before Jesus returns to settle it.
So if you think God's not answering my prayers yet, you need to think further in the future because of the exalted Christ. They're going to be answered once and for all. And he's hearing them. So with all that said, here's what I think it means to to ask in Jesus' name. Asking in Jesus' name means imploring the exalted Christ with adoration, confidence, humility, and the Spirit's help to give us all we need to obey Him and bear fruits for God's glory. Asking in Jesus' name means imploring the exalted Christ with worship. We come humbled before Him with adoration, with confidence. He is able to do far more than we can ask or think. And humility. I'm not here because of my own doings. I'm here, Lord, because of what you have done for me. And the Spirit's help. I know the words. He's given me the words to pray to you. He's even here in me, dwelling, making me cry out to you as Christ himself cries out to me. We implore the exalted Christ to give us all we need to obey him and bear fruit for God's glory. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. I want you to pull out your blue insert. You don't need to feel bound to this insert. But I'd like us to spend a few minutes asking the exalted Christ together in some clusters of about three to four people. Uh, for some of you, that may mean you're starting with adoration this morning. Asking God's name to be hallowed in your life more and more. For others of you, it may, need, may mean you start with confession, confessing that uh, confessing of ways you've clung to sin or haven't, or haven't desired to do God's will. But I'd like for all of us to participate in imploring the exalted Christ with confidence that He will give us all we need to obey Him and bear fruit for His glory. Get specific. Name individuals that you want God to save. Ask for specific things that you think are impossible. Some of you are in school or intimidated by responsibilities at work. Some of you need a specific amount of money in mission for, or for mission. Ask for them. Name the specific amount that you want God to provide for you in order that His name may advance. If somebody is ill in your cluster uh, of people, pray for them. For their healing. If someone is tormented with temptation, lay hands on them and pray for God's deliverance. Don't be afraid to talk to each other about what you need prayer for. And then if you need uh, some more specific ideas, then let the blue insert guide you. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to participate at all. But I would encourage you to consider the exalted Christ. And some of the things that uh, I said earlier about His obedience and His sacrifice being given in your place and that you would turn to him and trust him now. And I would also encourage you to share with somebody in here who is a Christian that you are not a Christian. And if you're a member of Redeemer, I want you to spend this time welcoming them and talking with our non-Christian guests about questions they may have about the faith. Point them to the exalted Christ. But let's just take 15 minutes or so to pray together And then I'll close this at the end.